0: So we've been working our way through um, the Apostles' Creed and preaching through scriptures that pertain to the different phrases in the creed. And uh, the, the creed is, the Apostles' Creed the oldest creed that the church uh, has, and it's uh, really the shortest and the, the most uh, concise, uh, basically statement of the most basic of Christian beliefs. And so, what we've done so far is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And that's where we left off last week. Um, and we learned last week that Jesus is both truly God and truly human, and there's lots of implications of, of that, um, and you can hear those in the sermon from last week if you go back and listen Uh, And you can do that on your podcast app or on the website. Um, But the one that was prominent was really that Jesus was able to die on the cross. If He wasn't a human, He couldn't die a human death. And if you've been around Christians in the church any amount of time, I mean, you're like, okay, yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty normal for Christians to talk about uh, Jesus dying um, and it's, it is, but if we step back and take a, another look at it, it it's, it's pretty profound, like the divine Son of God dying, and not only dying, but dying the most shameful, really, of all deaths that you could ever imagine. Um, several years ago, I was attending a court hearing uh, involving a man that had attended our church. And unbeknownst to me, there were several federal charges against him when he had come and joined the church and started serving. Uh, Started dating a young woman, and then all all the information about him came out. She got a restraining order on him, um, and he broke the restraining order. And so he had been arrested. And so I was going to the court uh, to really stand with uh, the woman. And uh, he uh, was being transferred with a group of prisoners. And I just happened to show up at the exact same time at the front of the courthouse as all the prisoners were being transferred into the courthouse to see the judge. And it was one of the most awkward moments of my life. Um, Orange jumpsuits, everybody... In handcuffs and stocks, uh, heads down. So much shame. You could just kind of taste it, uh, including the shame of, of this man that had been um, arrested and brought in uh, to custody. And I didn't know what to do. Like, do I look away? Do I do I smile? You know, stare. Like there was just like no, no good options. But what I remember was just the shame of that moment. For them. Um, and this pales in comparison to what Christ <laughs> went through. He was taken into custody. He was placed in chains. Uh, he was wrongly accused. He was unfairly tried. He was mocked and mistreated. He was whipped within an inch of his life. And if it had stopped there, that <laughs> would have been uh, just a stunning thing for the divine Son of God to do. But it didn't stop there. Um, He was unjustly condemned to die. But not just to die, to die as a victim of crucifixion. Spread across two cross beams, nails driven through his hands, through his feet. Hung there to die from a combination of dehydration, of exposure to the elements, shock, and eventual uh, asphyxiation, not being able to pull himself up, and this is how most crucifixions uh, would end. And he wasn't in an orange jumpsuit, but he was naked and stripped of clothes and every shred of human dignity. The Creed acknowledges this with one little phrase. Was crucified. And the suffering, by another phrase, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, the divine Son of God does die, and death is horrible. Maybe you've been around folks in your life that were dying, the slow failing of a person's heart or kidneys or liver, or brain, or a combination of things is gut-wrenching. But nothing is as gut-wrenching as a healthy young human being slowly brutalized to death. And this is what is occurring on that cross that Christ died on. Luke tells us some of Jesus' final words in verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. If you're reading through the entire Gospel of Luke, that moment is like a mixture of relief and deep sadness. That this one that you've seen do all these miraculous, loving, profound acts All these amazing teachings is now bowing his head in death on a cross. The creed acknowledges this with one word, died. Was he really dead? He was. A lot of people saw it. Uh, The centurion at the foot of the cross, who was an expert at killing people, he saw it. The crowd that went away lamenting at what they had seen, They saw it. The women who had followed Jesus during his earthly ministry, they saw it. And he was buried. This is not common for a crucifixion victim. Usually the shaming of that victim would have been continued after their death. They would have been taken off the cross, thrown into the burning uh, trash heap that was right next to where the victims had been crucified. But instead... Jesus was buried. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a a religious leader and a pretty powerful one at that, asked Pilate if he could take the body of Jesus and bury it. And Pilate let him do this. Uh, he took him down. He wrapped him in a linen shroud. He put him in a new tomb. There was no other bodies in this tomb, just him. And the women who were Jesus' followers during his earthly ministry that were mentioned at the cross, they're also mentioned at the tomb. And so Joseph of Arimathea sees the body of Jesus buried, the women see Jesus' body dead and buried. The Creed acknowledges this with three words, and was buried. The Creed also tells us that he descended into hell, or we've been saying descended to the dead. Uh, technically, hell doesn't exist until the judgment, because hell is an infleshed experience, just like heaven, the new heavens and the new earth is an in-fleshed experience. And so we're, instead of saying descended to, to hell, we're saying descended to the dead. But what we do know is that Jesus' human soul and his human body were separated. That's what happens in death, and that his soul descended to the dead. But why? Why? And why? Why would the divine Son of God, truly human, truly uh, divine, be treated that way? Be not only killed, but crucified, dead, and buried? Well, Luke 23 and 24 tells us it's not just the chronicling of the events but Luke is telling us the why behind this crucified dead buried and risen from the dead and so we're going to look at three different two two threads and how those threads come together so one thread is that an innocent Jesus is condemned the other thread is that guilty sinners are forgiven Right. Innocent Jesus is condemned, guilty people are forgiven. And then we're going to talk about how those two things relate. Right. And, and Luke is telling us this in his passage. So go ahead and, and find Luke 23 in the Bible, and um, the Bible's on your chair. When somebody gets it, could you tell us what page it's on? What? 830. Okay, 830. Luke 23, okay, and so we'll be, I'll just be jumping around in that passage um, to talk about these threads. So the first thread, innocent Jesus is condemned. Now, ironically, the person that declares Jesus' innocence three times is Pilate. That's very ironic, right? So religious leaders bring Jesus in, they make the initial accusations, and this is Pilate's comments, verse 4. Of, verse, of chapter 23, then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. There's so a the first declaration right there. He's innocent. Uh, they don't want to hear it. So he hears that Jesus is from Galilee. He thinks, maybe I can send him to a lower court, a different jurisdiction. Maybe Herod can take care of this. Uh, Herod makes a complete mockery of Jesus. Um, And then just sends him back to Pilate. No one wants to touch Jesus. Because if he punished punished him, then his followers might riot. If you don't punish him, then the religious leaders might riot. And so good politicians want to take no blame and all the credit. And so they are in a really tough spot because they can't figure out how to do that. So Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate has a second meeting with the chief priest and the rulers and the people, verse 13, and he says to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. So Pilate now has corroboration with Herod. So he's like, hey, I think he's innocent. Herod thinks he's innocent. How could they say no to two sort of judicial figures who are declaring Jesus' innocence? But they say no. And then Pilate tries again to appeal to them. The third time, verse 22, a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt Deserving death I will therefore punish and release him. And so there's Pilate three times saying, "He's innocent, and my now new buddy Herod is saying he's innocent, too. Now another person that gets in on the uh, declaring Jesus' innocent train is one of the criminals on the cross, right He's being crucified between two uh, criminals, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged uh, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do, not, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. So it's piling up, right? These uh, we got Pilate for three times. we got Herod. Now we've got the criminal saying, he's innocent. He doesn't deserve this. And then we have the Roman centurion of all people. Right? He's, he's been given the job to, to crucify Jesus. And so verse 47 says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, quote, certainly this man was innocent think Luke's trying to tell us something? This is one of the ways you study your Bible. You look for repetition. These, these writers, absolutely, they are reporting historical fact, but it's not just fact for fact's sake. He's, he's actually putting forth an argument about why this is happening, right? And this innocent refrain is happening over and over and over. Again, innocent Jesus is being condemned. Now, the second thread is guilty people are being forgiven. The first one is Barabbas, right? Verse 23, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. And so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. So Pilate was coming up with a plan B. He was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing where I put forth two prisoners, and I say, I'm going to let one go. Uh, I got Barabbas. He's guilty as charged for insurrection and murder. He's a really bad guy. And I got Jesus, and I, I, I said, I think he's innocent. Which one do you want? And they say, Barabbas. And the guilty as charged gets forgiven, gets to leave. And go home, be with his family. And instant Jesus is left under condemnation. The crucifixion itself, the way that Luke describes it, one is it's very brief, and all the gospel writers are very similar in the way that they do this. But what's interesting is the verse that's right after this description that that Jesus is being crucified. Look at verse 33. Says when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. That's pretty much all he says about crucifixion, right? I mean, the readers in first century, they knew what crucifixion was. They didn't need the gory details. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Luke's being intentional here. He describes Jesus, the innocent Jesus being crucified, and then the very next phrase, Jesus offering forgiveness to those who are putting him on that cross. Forgiveness is a monetary term. It, is, it means that you had a debt, and then that debt is just completely wiped clean. Right. We hear a lot about student debt forgiveness. Like you owe a debt, and then... The the lender is like, no more. You don't don't have to pay that anymore. Right? And this this is this idea of forgiveness. And Jesus is is (laughs) forgiving the debt owed by those who killed the divine son of God. That's a lot more than 10 grand on your student loan, okay? That is an infinite debt that Jesus is saying. You're forgiven, right? So guilty people are being forgiven. Now, the guilty being forgiven doesn't just stop there. We also have one of the criminals, right? Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, "Do Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, I read that to you earlier. Now, look at the next verse. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with with me in paradise. He admits he is being justly condemned. That he, he is guilty as charged. He has done the things that he is being crucified for. He also declares that Jesus is innocent, that he has not done anything to deserve the condemnation that he is receiving. And then he makes the audacious ask <laughs> Can you imagine? You're being killed justly in capital punishment, and you lean over and you're like, hey, Could you give me forgiveness? Could I be with you in your kingdom? (laughs) That's an audacious ask. And you know what Jesus says? What does he say? Yes! (laughs) He says yes to that audacious ask from that guilty person. And the guilty, again, they go completely free. That's ludicrous. That's messed up. That's not just, is it? I mean, there should be something in us as we read this. It's like an indignation just kind of rising up. Like, what? Why is this happening? Why is innocent Jesus being crucified? Why are all these guilty people going free? We don't like it when guilty people go free or when innocent people are unjustly condemned. Uh, The ordeal of Walter McMillan that was uh, portrayed in the movie uh, Just Mercy, also a book. Uh, He was arrested in 1987, charged with a murder. Uh, He's a black man. The murder was uh, against an 18-year-old white woman in Monroeville, Alabama. And so he was taken into custody and he was convicted. Uh, in a trial that lasted one and one-half days. And the jury sentenced him to life, and the judge overruled the jury and sentenced him to death by capital punishment. Now, attorney Brian Stevenson, he's a Christian, he took McMillan's case in 1988, and he worked <laughs> on that case until 1993 when he secured McMillan's freedom. And he did it by demonstrating that the prosecution had withheld evidence that would have gotten him off, and they pressured the star witness into lying in their testimony. We still don't know who the killer is. The guilty killer, gone free. They're with their family. They're living life. Uh, And then this man lived in high-security prison uh, for over five years. This, this is unjust, right? It's, it's upsetting. If you've seen the movie or read the book, it makes you crazy just reading this, right? But again, not nearly as unjust and upsetting as the divine son of God being wrongly accused, tortured, beaten within an uh, inch of his life, and crucified on a cross. What? What's going on here? Now, the story of the innocent being condemned and the guilty going free doesn't end like you might expect, It ends with how the creed describes on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Now, it's in the resurrection that we start to see how these threads work together. And that's what we're going to look at here in the final point. The angels help us out. We had angels last week. We did Christmas last week, those of you that weren't here. We we talked about um, Christ becoming uh, a human being. And uh, the angels showed up for that, and then they show up for this. They show up for Jesus' resurrection. And we said last week, angels show up to make sure that everyone knows this is a really important milestone in the story of God, but also to get the message of that moment right. And so when the women show up at the tomb on Sunday morning... There's these angels, and um, this is what happens. Luke 24, 4 says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? I love that. (laughs) He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men? And be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. I love this. The the angels they just are so incredulous. They're like, What are you doing in the cemetery looking for Jesus? And they're like, What? What?" And then then he said, Don't you remember? Don't you remember what he told you? Now in Luke, this is a really important, like larger thread in the book of, of Luke, because Jesus tells the disciples over and over. That he's going to die and he's going to be buried and he's going to rise. So, for instance, Luke 9, I'm just going to read these to you. Luke 9, 21, he, Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then in that very same chapter, Luke 9, verse 43, while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Then Luke 18 says, and taking, uh, verse 31, taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Now we got Gentiles in on it. And will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. That's what those angels are talking about. Don't you remember? (laughs) He said to you over and over and over, he's going to die, be buried. He's going to raise from the dead. Jesus is adamant in those statements, saying, the Son of Man must be crucified. The Son of Man will be crucified. There's, There's no doubt in his mind this is where... He's going. But again, why? Why? And the answer is also in Luke 24. And look look in your Bible there, Luke 24, 44. Now, this is post-resurrection Jesus. And he's talking to his disciples and teaching them. And it says in Luke 24, verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in, law, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Sound from there? Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's no new information, right? That's, that's been said over and over and over. But here's the new information, verse 47. And that repentance from the forgiveness for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's why, that's why the innocent son of man, the Christ, God in the flesh, is dying a shameful death on the cross. is to pay the debt that we owe for our sin so that the guilty can be forgiven. And how can we get that? We make an audacious ask. We're no different than that criminal. We may not have a rap sheet, but we do in the eyes of a holy God. And the only hope we have is to make the audacious ask. We bring nothing to the table except our sin. (laughs) And to look to the crucified Christ, dead, buried, and risen, and say, will you forgive me? Will you wash me clean? And he says, yes. Just as he said to that criminal. He says to us. For some of you, maybe you've never made the audacious ask. This morning's your morning. <laughs> Let me encourage you in faith to reach out to Christ and say, Will you forgive me? Will will you w- wipe my debt free? and then start a new relationship with God because that debt has now been forgiven. For those of you that you've, you've already done that, right? You can, you can think back at a time in your life where maybe it was last month, maybe it was 10 years ago, but you, you knew that moment of, of, of coming to that realization, I have this debt, I cannot pay it. And, and you made the audacious ask. Be in awe of that this morning. Be in all of that. That's partly why we come together as a church, week in, week out. We, we just need to be reminded of the grace of God in Christ Jesus and remember our audacious ask. Because you know how you keep growing as a Christian? You just keep making audacious asks for more grace. <laughs> God, I can't do this. I can't, I can't live this life of a disciple. I can't deal with my sin. I can't deal with my struggle. God, help me. Help, help. And you just keep asking. And you know what? That's what he wants you to do. <laughs> That's how good he is. That's how generous he is. And, and the well is so deep of grace. It's infinite. It's infinite. And so let's be in awe of that this morning and continue to, to make the audacious ask as we grow in the grace of the gospel. And then as a church, we want to keep centering on that gospel. This is is what we want to be about, this death, burial, resurrection, this forgiveness of sins that's been given to all who will make the audacious ask. This is the center of our church. I am 100% sure that is what Jesus wants partly because of the ordinances that he's given his church to participate in over and over and over and over again. I hope many, 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 many more times we're going to be seeing folks go through the waters of that baptism. And you're going to see folks go under the water and be buried and then be raised. And you're going to go, gospel, this is what we're about. This is what we're about. We're going to do that over and over and over and over again. We're going to keep preaching that gospel in every sermon. You, you, there's gonna, if you're new, you're, you're going to be thinking, I wonder where Robert's going to end up. In, oh, yeah, I know where he's going to end up. It, it, it's sort of like a Hallmark movie. You know where that thing's going, right? You, you know the couple is going to get together and they're going happily, to live happily ever after. It's going to be amazing, right? And so you know, you listen to me preach, you know he's going to land on Jesus. Every time. Every time. The second ordinance that Christ has given his church also reminds us of the gospel. And we get to take this today for the first time. This is big. And so, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, the night before all that stuff we just read in Luke 23, he's there celebrating a Passover with his disciples and he takes bread, just like this, some matzah, Um, he broke it after blessing it and he gave it to, to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What's he want him to remember? Is he saying, remember that I'm a great teacher. No, he's saying, I want you to remember my body broken on that cross for you. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed that, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Did you hear that? He he wants us to hear this every week, <laughs> that because of his broken body and his blood poured out, that, that our sins are forgiven. If we've made the audacious ask and, and we have received that forgiveness freely from him, we are forgiven, 100%. And we'll continually be forgiven <laughs> because, that, again, that grace gift is infinite, and so we're about to take uh, communion. And it is a sign of a local church body, okay? So this is why we haven't done it until now, because we wanted to have some kind of membership for our local church. But it's also extended to other brothers and sisters in Christ who are Christ's followers and want to take uh, communion along with us. And the way that we'll do it is uh, I'll, I'll be here with the bread, and so you come up and you hold your hand out, and you'll be reminding yourself of the audacious ask, because this is really all you brought <laughs> to Jesus as an open hand. Hey, could you give me forgiveness? And then, in His generosity, He gave Himself for you. Right? Also, so you don't put your hand, you know, have thirty-five hands in the bread. You know, it's just this is more sanitary. So just be one hand, my hand going in the bread, and putting it in your, uh, your hand. And then uh, Steve will be here to my right, and uh, you'll go to him, and you'll take the cup. And then you'll just walk back to your seat with the bread and the cup. You'll sit down, and you just have some time. You confess sin, thank God for what he's done for you, pray, and then you just take it whenever you're ready. You don't have to wait for me to say, you know, do it. Um, this is a time for you uh, to do that. Uh, at your seat and then uh, we'll sing uh, in celebration of what Christ has done for us. So let me pray and then uh, we'll begin. Lord, my, my soul was so stirred from these scriptures that I have read so many times. And so I, I myself, I am so grateful that it, the innocent Jesus died in my place so that guilty Robert could be given forgiveness. Thank you for that, Lord. We, we remember that, that each of us who have made that audacious ask, that, that we've been given uh, the grace of forgiveness. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We uh, thank you for the church that you're establishing in this place. Uh, as we take this bread and take this cup, we uh, are reminded this is not just about us, but it's also about a community of faith that you're building here at Ridgetop Church. And so we pray your blessing over it and over this time, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. do that.